Hello, and thank you for tuning into my podcast. My name is Winter Haley Scott, and I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I'm a senior at the Colorado College, and in May of 2018, I will be receiving a degree in political science and sociology. If you are a regular listener, you know that our class has been traveling around Berlin trying to find hidden spaces and hidden narratives. We have learned about women who feel and have felt marginalized by their identities in Berlin, the queer community, and people who have worked day in and day out to make Berlin the democracy that it is today. It is difficult not to fall in love with Berlin after seeing the diverse population that resides here. And for that, thank you, Berlin, for welcoming us into your space and showering us with your history. This is the last day of our class in Berlin. And I really think that the focus of today's podcast is a great way to end. Today, we are learning about the impact that art and graffiti had on Berlin's post-Holocaust experience, specifically focusing on the Berlin Wall. As some listeners may already know, Berlin was divided into four territories after the Holocaust. They were controlled by France, the United States, Great Britain, and the former Soviet Union. Because many people who were residing in the Soviet Union's territory, at that time known as East Berlin, anticipated a dissolution of freedom, many decided to escape to the United States territory that was known at that time as West Berlin. Once the Soviets saw this, they decided to erect a wall to prevent East Berliners from escaping to the West. This barricade is remembered today as the Berlin Wall. This tour, our class did readings about the significance of the Berlin Wall to street art here in Berlin. What we learned is that the newly found freedoms of East Berliners inspired expressions through street art. And today, we are gonna be able to see some of that street art with our own eyes. As some of you may already know, graffiti is and has been a criminal offense in Berlin and it is punishable by at least two years in prison, which is ironic seeing that one of the main attractions that make Berlin stand out from other cities is its graffiti. During my plethora of plane rides throughout the city, I cannot help but to admire the art everywhere, which is in itself a major culture shock for me, coming from a school where graffiti was almost never viewed as art and almost always viewed as an offense, but I find it absolutely astonishing that the same people who may be viewed as rebels and gang members in American culture by both citizens and the authorities are largely viewed as artists by tourists. This class is supposed to capture the stories of people whose stories may have been isolated or ostracized in other contexts. And nothing speaks so clearly to this type of person than the artists who have used their artistic skills to make political statements and express their ideas and feelings to others. Today, we are meeting with a representative of the Alternative Berlin. Alternative Berlin is a tour company that does tours on often overlooked subgroups in Berlin society, including, but not limited to, pub crawling, craft beer, and green tours. Today, the Alternative Berlin is going to show us significant graffiti around Berlin 
and then we're going to be able to make some graffiti ourselves. How fun! And thanks goes out to Alternative Berlin in advance for speaking with us today. And keep listening to hear about our experience with the Alternative Berlin. When the wall had come down in 1989, this area was completely trashed. Uh, all the buildings were old, uh, they were all like brown concrete coloured, all the houses were empty, people were living around here for free, but because it was the centre of the city, it very much became the business district. So you have a bit of a contrast these days compared to here, to the actual train bridge, because Berlin itself is in so much debt from the reunification, it cost something like 300 billion euros, sorry, 300 billion Deutsche Mark back in 1989 to reunify the city that debt still carries over to this very day. The city is only a city of 4 million people, but the city is in 88 billion euros worth of debt. And you can really see it when you go to some parts of town, especially anything that's owned by the city. Garbage bins, train bridges, anything like that is always trashed, where everything around here is now privately owned. But we're going to walk down this whole bridge where a lot of the street artists are going to talk about. But at the very end, I have a nice place to show you guys around the corner where it's called Haus Schwarzenberg. I'm going to talk about it when we get there, but it's a little alleyway where they haven't touched it since the war came out. So you can sort of step back in time and see what the whole area used to look like. And also there's some really nice murals in there to talk about as well. So anyway, what we have up here is a, he's a friend of mine actually. His name's Senor Schnu. He's a German guy from Köln. And uh, he was a graffiti writer uh, growing up, uh, painting trains, stuff like that. And he got busted. He had to pay 20,000 euros. He's still paying it off in small amounts every month, something like 50 euros per month, which is going to take years and years and years. But uh, after he got busted, like most people, it sort of discourages you when you have to pay that much money. So he got more into the street art, because what he's doing here, painting on paper and gluing it to the wall, is not really a vandalism charge in Berlin. It is in Australia, but in Berlin it isn't. You can go out in the middle of the night, I mean in the middle of the day if you like, we could all be doing one right now. And the police drive past, they see us, they don't even get out of their car. They have better things to worry about. The only people that care about this, uh, they're called the Ordnungsamt. Uh, they keep order in the streets. Very German thing. They walk around giving people parking tickets, making sure you're parked the right way. And also, if somebody throws trash on the ground, they're going to make you pay 10 euros for that, which is the same as this. It's a littering charge. It's essentially putting rubbish on a wall. So when they come over and you're gluing it up there, they'll most likely just say, come on, take it down. You take it down because the glue is still sticky and they leave put it back up again or they're going to make you pay 10 euros and if they want to do that you can run away if you like because they're not legally allowed to even touch you so they won't chase you they'll just call the cops and the cops aren't going to give a shit so it's, it's a very very uh it's a very very low risk actually but the beauty about these is you can paint 50 of these in the, your studio or your bedroom if you like and you don't have to worry about painting a detailed picture in a very public area of town so these people, they paint 50 or 100 of them, Senor Schnu does, and he goes on Euro trips where he sticks them all around different capital cities and spreads his artwork out that way. So, and it's great, you know, you can have a big, huge, amazing piece you spent three or four days on, roll it up and go straight into the center of town in the middle of the night and glue it up on a big wall. And it's uh, an amazing piece of artwork that you've done in 10 seconds there. So it's, it's a bit better than the graffiti when it comes to detailed stuff. So. Mostly down here, we're going to see a lot of paste-ups like this. And uh, paste-up is the name. It's a worldwide name as well. So, all right, we'll keep going. thrown everywhere. And we're going to see them down the whole way. This artist who comes from Paris, his name is uh, Sober. I would say out of all the paste-ups in Berlin, there's a lot. And 50% are from him. He does a lot of work. And what he does, he has a man here 
but that's a new one. He he's been around for about seven years, and he's always just done girls with his dancing uh, areas. He was always known as the dancing girls guy. And I read an interview online with him, and uh, it's, to be honest, the interviewer had asked him, you know, how do you get these girls? What's the story behind it? And when I started to read it, it started to sound a little bit creepy, actually, because uh, I doubt that his English was really good. So he pretty much said, you know, where do you get these girls from? And he's like, okay, well. You know, I, I like to go to a music festival, and I like to find a girl I think looks good. Uh, what I think he meant was look would look good as a stencil, maybe interesting uh, outfit and hair and stuff. And he's like, and I like to follow them around without them knowing about it, <laughs> and uh, taking photos of them while they're dancing. And uh, I was like, okay, it's sounding a bit weird, and it's a bit sketchy. And he goes, and then I, I, I take about 20 pictures of different girls all day. I go home. I put them into Photoshop, I separate all the layers, I print them out, cut them out by hand, and I'll, I'll start spraying them. And that's what he does here. This is a multiple layered stencil. So one layer of one color, the next one goes on, the next layer, and they're all different shapes. But at the end he said, what, I, what the reason why I don't tell them is because I like to think that one day they come to Berlin and they walk past the wall and they're like, what the fuck? That's me up there. And he also mentioned that uh, sometimes he will ask the girls permission and they get so flattered that he wants to do it that he then gets their number as well. So, French guy. Yeah. But uh, in the end, but, uh, this little cartoon here, this little girl with googly eyes, and you can see she has a pet cat. She's ripped the head off her pet cat. Um, this is uh, a really famous street artist. His name is El Bocho. He's from Berlin. Uh, he's, bit, I mean, he's from Frankfurt, but grew up in Berlin for a long time. And he was mostly really active in the mid-2000s. So, this one here is from 2006. They last a really long time. Yeah. No one cleans this bridge. If you use the right glue, put it high enough, it lasts for a long time. And he doesn't really do any street work anymore. He put in so much effort over the years of doing stuff in the streets that people started to like his work because they could see it everywhere. He started to gain a lot of followers, started having indoor exhibitions, started making money that way. So street art is good if you're an aspiring artist because if you're an artist per se and you make your first exhibition, you know, you spend one year painting pictures. Let's be honest, it's like your first gig as a band. The only people that are going to go to your first exhibition are your grandma, your friends and family. <laughs> and maybe your grandma will buy something to support you. But if you put in five or six years in the streets where a lot of people learn about your stuff, your first exhibition could bring 500 people you've never met before through Instagram and social media. So it is sometimes a good way to make money later when these people grow up and have family and stuff. So this is exactly what this guy did. But what this is about, this is called Little Lucy. And Little Lucy is a real cartoon from Czechoslovakia in the 70s. So none of us would know what it was. Um, and it was about a little pet, a little girl who had a little pet cat that could talk, and they were best friends, and they went on adventures together to like the seaside and the circus and grandma's house and that sort of stuff. And it was for babies after kindergarten. You know, you come home from school, your mom's cooking dinner, you watch Little Lucy on TV. Now, El Bocho uh, had taken the image, thought it would be cool to paint it completely how it is in real life, but make little Lucy brutally murder the cat in many different styles every time he puts it on the wall. So, this one looks like quite a quick death. I've seen some really brutal ones, like little Lucy has thrown the cat into a blender and it's like making like a chunk of soup. <laughs> little Lucy uh, has uh, shoved the cat onto a stick, up the butt and out the mouth, and is cooking it like a big Duna kebab, you know? with like a sandwich open, waiting for the cooked meats. There's one where she throws the cat into a pool of acid and watches it with a smile on her face as it melts and screams in this acid bath. Uh, probably, the, probably the darkest one I ever saw. It wasn't the most brutal, but it was the most darkest. It was where she had turned the cat into a puppet, like hooks through the skin and stuff, 
and was actually making the cat stab itself in the heart with Lucy a knife. Is yeah, so, yeah, man. Hi everyone, it's me again. Declan is pretty funny, don't you think? Well, this is the portion of my podcast where I give my own personal reflection of the tour and I explain how I believe that our experiences contributed to our learning. One of the most fascinating aspects of our tour was seeing how artists have been ultra creative and dodging rules and laws about graffiti and street art. Now, we didn't get a chance to hear it today, but during the tour, Declan explained to us that there were artists who would tie down their art to a pole because the law in Berlin was that anything tied down to a pole was legal and could not be removed by authorities. In a way, it seemed like a very educated and well thought out fuck you to the police who were monitoring and punishing street art and graffiti. The second thing that really stuck out to me is how many of these artists were able to communicate messages pertaining to politics and ethics. For example, at the end of the tour, There was a beautiful image of a young girl who was missing her lover and consequently was crying and disappearing into the wall. But the artist did not draw a sad girl just to draw a sad girl. Instead, he was actually articulating the issue of gentrification in Berlin. The girl's lover was actually old Berlin, changing and forgetting about her which I thought was really powerful. These artists also commented on ethics, like the one artist who depicted an image of a father yelling at a son, ostensibly telling him to do right, follow the law, etc. But then the father has a gun behind his back, as to say the commonly articulated proverb, fathers, teach your children to live a better life than the one that you have lived. I was impacted by these artists' ability to comment on the world without physically saying a word. The last part of the tour that I found most meaningful was the part where we made art. Now, I've never really considered myself an artist, but just being able to see that I can make art was really awesome. (laughs) I looked around at my classmates and I saw them smiling and just having the best time and I want to make sure that I thank Alternative Berlin again for giving us such a great experience. Thank you so much for Declan for inspiring our class with your knowledge. Thank you to Rob for commenting on art in Berlin during our discussion. And finally, I would like to thank you, listeners, for your continued interest in this subject. Stay tuned to listen to the final portion of my podcast, The Discussion. Hello and welcome back to our podcast on graffiti and art in Berlin. Um, This is the discussion segment of our podcast and we're going to go around and do the introductions. Um, I have today with me Maya and uh, Annabelle. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Maya, would you like to start? Sure. 
My name is Maya Littlejohn. I'm a junior at CC. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm a race and ethnic studies major with a political science minor. Thank you for having me, Miss Winter Scott Haley. Hi, my name is Annabelle Simotis. I also come from New York City, different borough, same vibe. I am a history poli sci classics major German minor and I'm really excited to be here today. It's great to have you ladies. Thank you so much for joining me today. So we're gonna talk about our walking tour with Declan. It was pretty awesome, don't you guys agree? Definitely. So what do you think was the best part of the tour? (laughs) I really liked um, seeing his own work at the end of the tour. I thought that it really brought it around together (laughs) that he, is part of the scene and could show us the graffiti with a lot of um, what's the word? Authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I really liked the um, was it an abandoned uh, train station? Oh yeah. Yeah. That yeah. We were able to go to. I thought that the graffiti there was really interesting, and I liked just seeing the juxtaposition of the. Um, the work that had been commissioned that were huge murals and also just the tags yeah next to them or on top of it i thought it was just really yeah my my other favorite part which i think would be interesting to talk about was what he classified as the difference between street art and graffiti yeah Mm -hmm. and how street art is for the people whereas graffiti is more for like the artists themselves like just kind of like a yeah. 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 About how we talked about the differences in intentionality, also. Mm. I Very thought. I thought that the most significant part of that part for me was mm-hmm. him explaining how like people who do like graffiti, they'll like draw all over street art and stuff. Mm. But when it's actually like street art and it's actually like something that's supposed to be meaningful to people, then they're not gonna like destroy anybody else's artwork. So just looking at like the respect that artists have for each other in the community versus like, yeah, yeah, that was really powerful to me. And I liked when and how he brought that up because literally we were looking at a huge beautiful mural that was about this artist's like deep depression and his that was about this artist's struggles with depression and trying to overcome and trying to rise up and then there was literally just a few tags on top of it that no one could understand and no one really cared about just yeah. Blatantly. Yeah. Just overtaking and also disrespecting the artist's really meaningful commission hero. Yeah. And I loved that piece also because of um, how the artist knew him. I thought that it was a sweet, like, mm-hmm. sense of community in the yeah. street art world. That was That we cool. read about, yeah. It seemed like a really small, well, not small, but close-knit community. Definitely, yeah. For for me, another thing that stood out, probably because I'm a political science major, mm-hmm. I, I just always think about, like, how people articulate their politics to others. Yeah. And I think Declan did a very good job at explaining yeah. to us that, like, 
it, they people weren't just drawing smiley faces to draw smiley faces yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know like it may when you first look at it for a couple of seconds it might appear that it's just something minuscule and that it doesn't have any like meaning yeah. to it but it's actually like something that you know really the artist has thought long and hard about like for instance uh when we were getting towards the end of the tour we were looking at the the swimming pool building with the penises outside yeah. Yeah. and um <laughs> i don't know like on the surface it's like oh penises yuck you know <laughs> i feel like <laughs> i feel like i feel like as a passer like looking at that just glancing at it i'd just be like oh penis and i just walk on but once you like start to really stare at it you, you notice like the other aspects of the piece of art and you start to wonder yeah. what made this person draw this and I don't know I just I, I really really respect that they articulate really huge messages with with the penis piece for instance it was um a hierarchy between like the upper class and the lower class like who gets stepped on um I think it was trying to explain that the EU or or yeah the EU like um just basically yeah. doesn't um well, yeah it was the eu stepping on and smashing like the countries Spain, that Italy, the, yeah the countries that are economically disempowered within the eu yeah yeah, yeah. and in debt yeah yeah so it wasn't just penises you know oh and the other thing that i really appreciated was i feel like there were several times throughout the tour um where people were asking him questions and I, for for our listeners who haven't been to berlin before it's not like um one or two pieces of graffiti or street art on the wall like each wall has at least i'd say like 30 different yeah, pieces of art color. yeah yeah and so obviously our tour guide couldn't tell us um, information about every single piece of art but there were questions about almost every single piece of art and so um we a lot of the questions that came from our peers were questions concerning um art pieces that Declan wasn't necessarily aware of and instead of acting like he was aware or like making up stories behind the art pieces I really found it meaningful that he just told us like he didn't know you know and I think that really just adds a lot of legitimacy to Declan as a tour guide totally like he wasn't just making up stuff and he said that himself that he wasn't going to make up stuff that he didn't know I mean there were a few pieces that he showed us that he didn't know anything about that I sort of felt needed some context if he was going to point them out for instance the statue of the native with yeah the indigenous person with the um, yeah I felt like that was kind of like awkward out of context yeah but I also feel like it's weird to not acknowledge it at least like it was this very prominent statue that we passed that was basically an indigenous person in a head dress yeah um and I feel just like in Germany where it's so out of context yeah like it's not can't be political here really I guess you can. Yeah, but yeah, but I guess it was just so left open because he didn't know anything. Like he didn't know if the artist was indigenous. He yeah. didn't know the background or any of the motive. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did you guys feel about just finding out that uh, you know graffiti, the act of graffitiing mm-hmm. <laughs> a wall, is still considered illegal here in Berlin? 
I have always assumed it to be yeah. like illegal everywhere, especially because in New York, like mm-hmm. they're really strict about it. I don't yeah. even think you're allowed to do pay steps. No, you're not. Which at is all. allowed here. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, it, it does seem odd because there is so much graffiti mm-hmm. that it is illegal, but yeah. I sort of assumed that it was illegal. Also, the city was described to me as kind of like Brooklyn in the mid-2000s, so it made sense to me that there was guns. Well, I think that like something, and I'm not really familiar with Brooklyn specifically, but um, I asked the question in the tour, like, why is it more popular in Berlin Mm -hmm. than in other places? And he was explaining that it had to do with poverty, just uh, Mm -hmm. the community is so much in debt, like they can't afford to hire people to come out and to clean the walls, uh, so... I don't know that I, I just found that like really really fascinating just the fact that it's everywhere like how did it yeah. how did it get like this yeah. and still be legal it's just it it sounds like something that's like this big of a thing should like the police should just be like oh let's just like marijuana <laughs> let's, yeah. let's just make it legal and see what happens so totally also I thought it was so interesting in our reading um, when it said that a lot of people did graffiti in East Berlin after the wall came down because yeah. it was such a blank slate because yeah. no one had been allowed like it was so strict then mm-hmm. um, whereas in the West it was still happening um, and so to see all this graffiti as like freedom like yeah. that's what the graffiti represents in a lot of ways and yeah and I feel like graffiti is part of counterculture in a way that it makes sense that it's illegal even though there's so much of it because a lot of counterculture from I don't know drugs to different forms of expression including graffiti as a form of expression have been known to be illegal um (laughs) um but like how he mentioned it was born in the Bronx in the 70s as a way of fighting back and as a way of those that were seen as groups within counterculture movements and just others. um, Creating their own scene. Yeah, creating their own scene and creating their own movement and creating their own public form of expression. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it makes so much sense that after the wall fell and is kind of really cool and empowering that a huge graffiti movement popped up. (laughs) <laughs> and that we are touring it today. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the one thing that I feel like was a limitation of the tour. Hmm. Um, was be- I, I feel like the reading d- really did a good job of emphasizing, like, how after the walls were taken down, like, um, you know, that, that really spurred an emergence of, like, people being, like, mm-hmm. wanting to express their ideas and to do that through art. But I feel like a lot of... I don't know, a lot of what we were shown today didn't really go back to that necessarily, and I wish that it had. I think that's part of the fact that graffiti changes so quickly because graffiti can't really, or he said that graffiti that was lasting like 12 years was incredible because it's always being covered up by new graffiti, so we don't really have anything from post- Um, GDR because it's been replaced by new more current political ideas or personal masturbate or (laughs) masturbatory (laughs) murals yeah yeah how did you guys feel when we were talking about 
the group of boys, I think uh, Deathlin explained to us that there were like four boys who started this group. I forgot what it's called. Something the up. Off, one up. Uh, one up. One up. He said that it's like a one of the most popular um, groups, uh, street art groups in Europe, actually. Yeah. Um, but they did this project where um, they basically hijacked trains <laughs> and um within minutes they painted the whole train like at a stop like that that was that was really i don't know breathtaking for me just like to even imagine like being as familiar as we are to the train system here in berlin just seeing like thinking about that happening in five minutes is kind of absurd you know <laughs> yes I thought that was so impressive. Me too. <laughs> like, I don't and even I've seen care. those yeah. trains before. Yeah. And like marveled at them. Yeah. And I don't even care if you do or don't like graffiti. Like that's just impressive. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what? In such a cool image. Yeah. Like out of yeah. a movie scene. Mm-hmm. But they're living it. Living it. <laughs> so after after going on this tour, Maya and Annabelle, who do you think are the people who do street art in in Berlin? Well, it seems like, or what he was saying, that it's everyone's passion and they have other things to maintain their lifestyles. Um, it seems like people who have a message that they need to get across through art and in a public way of like self-sacrifice, or at least the street art people, where it's not just covering everything um, yeah. and covering it, everything with themselves, mm-hmm. but that they're not getting paid to do this which he stressed many times and it's really like for the pe- the passerbyers yeah. yeah yeah he also talked about like the much older guy that started when he was 59 or mm-hmm. something um kind of as a way to explain that it's not just like these young teen, teen boys, teen boys. <laughs> but then also contrasted with like the 22 and 23 year olds that have been doing it for years that literally scale buildings um so all ages yeah and just anyone has a message and is willing to go to crazy weird places and scale buildings or climb up a bridge (laughs) or building (laughs) (laughs) that people are like it's art to like an um what's it called bmx but not (laughs) extreme sport art (laughs) art version (laughs) Yeah, well, well, taking that into consideration, um, how do you think that our experience today goes into the part of the reading that we did uh, this weekend where um, it's talking about, like, the Linda Linda and the readings it was talking about Linda and how Linda caught Berlin's attention because everybody thought that he was trying to express this story about Linda, and then there were other people who started, like, responding through art to the artist about Linda, but then a few years later, the guy was like, Linda ain't real. Like, <laughs> how do you, taking, that, taking what we've learned about street art in Berlin into consideration, how do we explain like artists like this guy with Linda? Wait, what do you, like? Well, in the reading, didn't it say something about how it created this like dinner table conversation <laughs> between Berliners, or it created just a connection between people and their city. 
Do you want to add to it? We, we have an expert named Robert. Listeners, we have a special <laughs> treat for you. We have an additional person who is joining. He is also from uh, Alternative Berlin <laughs> Tour. Sure. So, like, what was, I think, going back earlier than that, what's most interesting about Linda is that it came at a time when street art didn't really exist. Mm. And so people noticed it. It's white noise at this point. Like Most Berliners don't notice the street art, it's just noise. But at that point it was new. And so people were really involved in a way that they're not now. People were talking about it on the radio, sending letters into newspapers, adding their own little shit underneath the pieces. Yeah. Like, there was a real interaction and the city was split between those that believed he was the last great romantic and those that believed he was a fucking psychopath. <laughs> um, and then basically the project ended, I think, like 2005, 2006 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that, I'm not certain about the dates. But there was very little comment from the artist until about two or three years later mm-hmm. when he gave an interview and was asked, did you ever get back together with Linda? And the answer was no, because Linda never existed. Um, it was a social manipulation campaign, and it fucking worked. If you tried to do that now, nobody would even notice. But at that time, it worked really well. There is still one Linda's X piece in existence, and it was a really specific one, um, where it said, Linda, I will be at this bar every Tuesday and Saturday. Please come and see me. Yeah, I think we read about yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. And so the artist actually did a reproduction in metal for the bar that they then since screwed onto the front, and it's still there. So wow. it's not real... It's, it's by the artist, and it's the same thing. Like, I, I get your point, but <laughs> authenticity has a certain cutoff point, and that's pretty authentic. Yeah. Well, what I was suggesting was that, like, art seemed to have a message to the people who view it. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, it could be, like, really, really impactful. In but the case of this specifically, or as a generalization? As a generalization, and I'm saying that the I Linda situation seems to be... I think that in the latter half of the 20th century and the early half of the 21st, we've become rather obsessive about this idea that art has to have a deep meaning. But I would question what you think the meaning of the water lilies by Monet is. What do you think the meaning of the dances of Avignon by Picasso was? What do you think the meaning of the fucking Mona Lisa is? Sometimes art can just be beautiful without having to have an explanation or a deeper meaning to it. And I think that when you have too much of one or the other, it becomes distorted and, and silly. But I think in recent years, we've become really insistent that everything has to have a meaning. But most of the time, the meaning's just fucking try anyway and doesn't really achieve anything. But I'm a giant cynical prick. So that doesn't really work out. But. So we just had an interesting input from um, another member of the Alternative Berlin Tours. Um, his name was Rob. Thank you, Rob, for your input on Linda. Um, so how do we feel about what Rob just said? I don't think that meaning... I think that there's also a lot of bullshit art in the 21st century that doesn't have any meaning. And that meaning doesn't have to be created by an artist. That meaning is no less invalid if it's taken from a looker honor. Right. And I thought that he was great. Yeah. I I think it just really brought a new perspective to the situation, you know? Hmm. I was just kind of flabbergasted that he came over to speak with us, honestly. <laughs> I think that the listeners are going to get a good chuckle from this. <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I just, I think it's just, he really shocked me when he was explaining that, like, why, why can't it be, why can't it mean something, but at the same time mean nothing at all? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like those, I don't know, I, I just... What I was stuck on was like, oh, it has a message, you know, like everything has to have a message, Mm -hmm. but not, I guess what he was explaining to me was that 
not everything has a message and sometimes True. you just have to look at it and smile like it's yeah. a conversation starter like what do you think that this means you know True. It's, it's something to talk about at the dinner table and yeah maybe it won't start a revolution but maybe yeah. it will you know yeah. um and so I don't know. I was really impacted by that, and I hope that our listeners were as well. Who do you think is affected by uh, Berlin street art? Do you think it's tourists? Do you think that it's people who live here? Like, like who do you think cares the most about this? Well, like Rob just said, the Linda piece got so much attention yeah. because... And it got so much attention and started like this huge controversy within Berlin and how that would never happen today. Yeah. And so I think that today maybe it is more of a touristy thing. Maybe it is yeah. the people going on the art tour, the alternative tour, like we are looking at the art. Um, but I don't think it was always like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting, like art that pops up during a certain political climate and during certain political or social events or movements so like he was talking about a lot of art popping up about the election during this election and I have seen a lot of like fuck Trump art yeah. <laughs> literally it says that um and I think that's or probably Nazis noticed out. yeah or Nazis out and I think that's probably noticed because it's just what's on everyone's mind for better or for worse if you're already thinking about it you'll notice it more yeah so yeah <laughs> what were your favorite pieces of artwork from the tour I thought the story of the guy, the Oz, I didn't like his Oz necessarily, but that was really touching. Which one was Oz? Um, he was the one whose wife left him and whose kids grew up, and so then oh, he yeah. spent every single day tagging Oh, the older Hamburg. guy. Yeah. What the, a good like, way to retire. Sister. I know. Retire into graffiti. And really <laughs> sweet. Yeah, I really liked him. Hmm. Maya? I liked the train image of the woman taking a picture um, that was supposed to be like... Something Cooper. Yeah. Martha Cooper. And it was kind of a ode to the first person that acknowledged and appreciated graffiti. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, my favorite part was actually... The penises? No. No, <laughs> it wasn't that. It was the part where um, they were talking about gentrification. Um. There was a piece at the very end of the tour um, that it just had like a girl on the side of a building. And um, so Declan was explaining to us that it was an older building from um, right after World War II, um, a building that had been destroyed. And if, if you haven't been to Berlin, um, most of the buildings that are here in Berlin have been reconstructed because after World War II, uh, the the place was a mess. It was, it was a lot of um, destroyed buildings, but they didn't wor really wor worry about like reconstructing this building because it wasn't a bad neighborhood. And so it still is basically the original as it was like after World War II. And so there's this picture of this girl who's really, really sad that her community has changed because Declan was explaining that back then this used to be like a place for punks and a place for people to just hang out. And it was just a completely different environment. And now it's um, you know, a little, it's, it's like a touristy area almost. Like they have a bunch of clubs and they have a bunch of stores. It's been very gentrified in the last, I don't know, 20, 20 years or so. Um, and so there's a picture of this girl and, uh, she has a tear that's running down her face. And as time goes on, the, she'll start to deteriorate because she's missing her lover and her lover is the old city, what it used to be like. And 
it was just deep beyond what I could fathom, you yeah. know? Yeah. And artistically, he painted, like, right below her eyes, a thick coat of watercolor. So as, like, rain came down, the mm-hmm. tears would fall with the rain and with time. Yeah. And I thought that that was a beautiful, artistic, yeah. like, mirror to the idea of yeah. the art piece. And then also, eventually, the materials he used would literally fade into the building. And so he went even further than just the crying. And his idea was that, like, she would literally fade into the building and... Oh, did we talk about the lover? The idea was that the building she was painted on was, yeah, the pre-gentrified lover that she was missing and looking back for. So she'd eventually fit into the building and, like, meet the lover and be reconnected with the lover when gentrification was just, like, at its peak and had finished. Yeah. It was so bad. How sad and depressing that that was that area's all going to be torn yeah. down or, and they're only going to leave 20% in the next two years yeah. to build like a new apartment complex Ew. and yeah and the guy that's building the complex quote wants to keep it original and like authentic but uh that doesn't really mean much like what is how's he going to do that if they're tearing it down was there yeah. anything else that you guys wanted to add to the walking tour piece because if not, we're going to move on and talk about the workshop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, yeah. How, how did you guys feel about the workshop in general? I loved I it. I loved it. <laughs> I, I would have I been able to do that all day. Yeah. Yeah, give me yeah, give me paint and, like, a cutting tool. That sounds weird, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, also, it was really hard to, like, get what I had in my mind across yeah. and just to, like, really, it was made me admire all of the street yeah. artists so much more because it is so hard. Yeah. yeah, whereas I feel like I'm so reckless and when it comes to like my art, and once in high school I got into a fight with an art teacher because I wouldn't plan my painting. Mm-hmm. Um, like I wouldn't do a sketch at first, so I kind of really like the freedom of just being like, well, I messed this up, so let me just yeah, do something cool. else. Yeah. yeah. For, for me, I was kind of really disappointed when we were told, <laughs> I mean, not, not, with, not with the workshop, um, when we were told that we wouldn't be able to do it like they've done it in previous years with oh, the actual yeah. wall. That like, was sad. Yeah, but I get it. Like, it's cold. Like, I didn't want to be outside, but I just didn't really have high expectations because of that. And then we got in there and, like, I'm cutting, but I'm not cutting right. I feel like I'm in second grade. Like, I can't cut a straight line. You know, and then this guy, Rob, um, who we just heard from, he comes up and he tells us, like, how to make the most beautiful thing. And I'm like, there's no way mine is going to look like that, you know, and it did. Yeah. So I think it even just ties into our conversation earlier about, like, who the artwork is for and, like, who could be a part of the community. Like, I'm not saying that we should just all go and be street artists because obviously, like, there has to be a meaning behind us doing it. We shouldn't do it if there's no meaning. But just the fact that, like, if we are passionate mm-hmm. about something, like, we can articulate our ideas and our feelings through that type of venue mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. 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 I concur. Me do you concur? Too. I concur. <laughs> well, Hands in, everyone. Well, thank you, ladies. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? No, thank you for interviewing me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And special thanks goes out to Rob (laughs) from the Alternative uh, Berlin Tour for um, giving us an extra perspective in our discussion today. I hope that you all enjoy. And um, thank you so much for tuning in. Danke. Danke, 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 my friend.